What's up, Whisper Nation, and welcome back to part two of the matchup breakdowns for week three. We're going to get through all the rest of the games, the night games, the Monday and Sunday games, all to let you know who you need to sit and you need to start and get in that lineup. All that and more from the Fantasy Whispers right here. Right here. That's right. Like Johnny said, we will be talking the second half of the NFL slate of matchups. And if you like that fresh fantasy football content, please consider subscribing over on YouTube uh, and helping us grow the channel over there. Give this and some other videos a like on your way in. That being said, welcome in Whisper Nation. My name is Big Travi. You can find me on Twitter at Big Travi TFW. I am joined by Johnny Gametime Hicks. You can find him on Twitter at Johnny underscore Gametime. What's going on, Johnny? What's up, my buddies? We get to talk some more fantasy football. I'm excited for these second half matchup breakdowns because there are some really good games in here. There's a lot of exciting players that, you know, have been a little underperforming. We'll talk about we got a lot of players in the second part that have been overly performing. And we're going to tell you if they, you need to keep them in your lineup or not. So I'm excited about this. You know, I like I like this part. That's right. I do, too. And I know Austin does it well. He's on the other mic. You can find Austin Sear on Twitter at Austin underscore R underscore Sear. What is good, Austin? What's going on, man? First Thursday night game that it has it's not a barn burner in terms of a sex appeal, but they've been such great primetime matchups. I think we're going to have some good football ahead, even if the names aren't the most salacious. I don't care. I'm excited for Thursday night. Yeah, this one doesn't feel like even Washington, New York last week. You're like, well, they're both kind of, you know, crappy. So maybe they'll it'll be OK. This one, we're not too sure, but we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll see if it can't meet we'll the it. hype. Yeah, we're definitely going to enjoy some football. Always do. Yeah, always. Heck yes. And Whisper Nation enjoys that football. And we just got to let them know we're nothing without you guys. And if you want to help continue grow this uh, family, this community, and you feel it upon your heart to help contribute to the brand, head on over to patreon.com. You can show support at the 5 and $10 levels. Patron benefits include access to our exclusive Discord channels, entries to sports card giveaways, increased odds for winning a signed NFL jersey from your favorite fantasy football players, and bonus fantasy football content that is available only to our patrons. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash the fantasy whispers today and join the nation. Okay, so guys, I wanted to start off as we normally do with a quick question. And so I'll, I'll start it with you, Austin. I had this one come up to me, and I think I know the answer, but I wanted you to elaborate on it because I know it's a great story. What is the closest victory you've experienced in fantasy football that oh my you can God. remember? It's against Nick Thomas. It's the Atlanta Falcons versus the New England Patriots on prime time Monday night. There was a couple of series that had to happen for this outcome to be what it was. I got, there was there was the offensive series of the Falcons needing to they were trailing behind the Patriots and they needed to catch up. They needed to not kick a field goal, though, and try to go for it on fourth down. It was one of those decisions like, oh, do we kick the field goal and go for the onside or do we try to score now and then go for the onside later? Um, and they went for it. They didn't get it. It was a turnover on downs needed that to happen. Oh, yeah, because he had the Falcons kicker. That was it. He had the Falcons kicker. So he needed the Falcons kicker to not get any more points. Then I also needed for the Falcons to turn the ball over, get it out of their hands, which they did. Then Tom Brady had the ball for the Patriots. And my opponent, Nick, was starting Tom Brady as well. And I was losing by 0.16 at that point. I was losing by 0.16 points. This was after the field goal that didn't happen because that would have separated it beyond reach. But now Tom Brady has the ball. They're running the clock out. What does Tom Brady do? There's 35 seconds left, too, in the game. That's important because he takes a knee, minus 0.1, 
but there's there's no more time left on the clock. You know what I mean? There's the clock's going to run out. But what do the Falcons do? They elect good sportsmanship and they call a timeout. Of Just course. Because anything Why? can happen, right? Because you never know. Maybe they fumble yeah. the fumble the snap. Down. Fumble the snap. Something happens. You always play to win the game. So in good sportsmanship fashion, the Falcons call a timeout, requiring Tom Brady to take another knee before he does this. Now minus that point one point. I'm down point zero six. Tom Brady takes that second knee, and I win the matchup by point zero four. Sorry, Nick. It's been about five, six years, and it feels like <laughs> yesterday. It still feels so good, doesn't it, Austin? Yeah, it does. Yeah, man. And that's the the lasting impact of these things. Johnny, what about you, man? What's been the closest call that you can remember? Oh, it's definitely. I mean, I've had some really close calls by point, you know, by a point or less. But one of the biggest one was last year. Uh, we brought it up on the show before. It was, you know, going against uh, one of our good buddies, uh, Chris Thomas, and he was up by like six yeah he was up by like like 60 going into the monday night and the monday night game got pushed back it was the pat mahomes and kansas city game uh that was supposed to be played on sunday but because of covid it got pushed back a day so we had the double header that night and the second game was the cardinals versus the cowboys and they just you know it was i needed a monday night miracle and i had pat mahomes and the big one was Kenyon drake I also had Christian Kirk in that game and Christian Kirk caught like this long 80 yard bomb, which gave me a huge boost. Uh, of course, Pat Mahomes went off for like 50 yard, uh, 50 points in that Baltimore game last year, uh, which significantly helped. And then Kenyon Drake last second, same similar, like the Cardinals were up in this game uh, and there was about to, it was like two Oh five left to go in the game. They need to get to the two minute warning, trying to milk out the clock. And it was like destiny, I swear, because I was watching it and I was down by like 12 points and Kenyon Drake looks at, at Kyler and I could just see it like in the, in the <laughs> camera, he's like, I'm going. And I was like, in my heart, I was, I, you know, my heart fluttered. I was like, oh, is this, is, if he breaks this, is he going to go? And sure enough, hike the ball, Kenyon Drake breaks one, busts one off. The whole time I'm screaming and yelling. I'm sure my neighbors were hating me. I don't care. I And then at that point, I'm just worried because of how analytics have done these past few years that uh, he was going to kneel it at the one, you know, pull a Brian Westbrook. So I was just worried about that. Yeah, or Todd Gurley. Luckily, he didn't. He got in the end zone, and then I end up winning by like a point, which ended up being the game that got me into the playoffs, which, you know, and then I went on a a run there. So, uh, yeah, that was definitely the most electric. uh, He called me after that game, FaceTime. You actually think he FaceTimed Philly Chelsea, and we were there. And I have that recording. I recorded him calling with my phone. I got to pull that one out of the archives. Oh, that's great. I got to pull that one up. But because you pulled up, Nick. Tom, I talk about Nick Thomas and Johnny. You talked about Chris Thomas, his brother. Honorable mention, Big Travi, second best fantasy matchup. And I know you were sitting in the living room with Mr. Christopher Thomas when this went down. Oh, Chris Nick Thomas, Foles. 2013, oh, yeah. baby. Yeah. 2013, November 3rd. I'm up, I'm losing by like 40 something points. And the only player I have left is backup quarterback Nick Foles about to make like his first NFL start. He might've made a couple starts. I'm not sure, but it was not, uh, no one was like super excited about it. I even remember seeing him a couple of sit columns that week. Anyways, November 3rd, 2013, Nick Foles tied the NFL record with seven touchdown passes. Chris Thomas lost by like 
15 after dropping like 55 points from Nick Foles. And you remember them, the, the, the fortress of solitude, Chris. Yeah. I, li- I lived with Chris uh, at the time was living with him and I didn't see Chris for a long time after that game. So <laughs> I'll just say that luckily he did emerge. He is alive. We've got eyes on him. He's fine. Uh, but yeah, he did not emerge. Well, we want to see what was your worst. The, I guess the big one that sticks in my mind is Des Bryant got three touchdowns in a, in a in a week one of the fantasy playoffs, and I was down big in that matchup, and it pushed me over the edge. I can't remember the exact point. I think it was about point five that I beat our buddy Alex in our league of record by to move on to the next round, onto a championship. So that one really signifies for me a big moment because you know you always feel down and out. You know, you're like when you look at those monster games, you're trying to trick yourself and thinking you could get those points. Maybe you got Aaron Jones on Monday night and you're thinking, can I can I surmount 40 points? No way. But I'm going to pretend I can. You know, I'm going to fake the confidence. And then it happens and you're like, oh, my God, you're over the moon, almost numb with the joy that happens from these things. So just thought it was a good topic to bring up. I want to see if Whisper Nation, if we can make some of those, you know, lasting memories this weekend in week three. And with that, we'll start with our first game. The Jacksonville Jaguars are hosting the Arizona Arizona Cardinals, your guys' Arizona Cardinals, in a 52-point over-under. We have got the, the uh, Cardinals favored by seven on the road. You know, what's kind of getting lost in, in, you know, the big plays for Arizona and, the, and the, the passing offense, the air raid that's going down the field, is the fact that Chase Edmonds is now sitting as a firm RB2 and in that range. And so, Austin, I need to ask, are we happy with this production? Are we okay? I mean, coming in preseason, we said he was the RB1. He kind of looks to have that. How are how are we happy here? Yeah, I'm happy. I'm, yeah. happy. I'm happy as a Cardinals fan. I'm happy as uh, a Chase Edmonds rooter. Uh, I don't have many shares of Chase Edmonds. just didn't fall to me in those leagues, but I had no issues with Chase Edmonds. You know, the week one distribution from the rush attempt perspective was a little bit concerning travis um connor actually out carried chase 16 to 12 he didn't like that but connor was fairly inefficient with those opportunities versus chases um who had 5.25 yards per carry um chase edmonds went ahead and built on that with a really strong week two i'll bet just eight rushing attempts but he was really efficient taking those for 46 yards averaging 5.75 yards per carry in the contest he hasn't gotten a ton of ground game action chase edmonds that is but he's still leading the running back room in that department travis Um, and he's dominating the target distribution and that's what we did expect nine targets nine receptions for chase edmonds zero targets zero receptions for chase or james connor so james connor spells chase he keeps him fresh he keeps him healthy we hope and this week going up against the 22nd ranked jacksonville run defense i see no signs of chase's production slowing down travis yeah, absolutely. And I actually see no signs for this passing attack to slow down either. I mean, we look at these guys, DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk, Rondell Moore, the rookie, the exciting rookie, and then A.J. Green, a former, you know, just all-time great at the position. If we look at what's, uh, you know, going on with this passing attack, we look at Jacksonville. It should be a good matchup. They're surrounding the eighth most yards to opposing wide receivers. We've got Hopkins dealing with the uh, rib issue that he's got right now. He is, he'd miss Wednesday. That could be a maintenance day for sure. Um, he's on the field the most as a true alpha, and he's got scores in back-to-back games. We are a little concerned with the target volume. It just hasn't been there for Hopkins, but you're rolling him out there. Well, let's see how that develops as the year goes on christian kirk's an interesting case here guys 24 points in ppr in week one then he went under 10 points in week two in ppr sub 65 percent snap share in both games only nine targets in both weeks combined 
but nearly 18 yards per reception. And PFF's got him graded as an 85 in receiving grade, second only to Cooper Cup through two weeks. So big news there to see what he's got going on. We look at Rondell Moore, also really good. Only Tony Pollard averages more points per snap than Rondell Moore right now at 0.74. He's been absolutely electric, 10 PPR points in week one, then 23 in week two, 14th highest graded uh, wide receiver in PFF. Uh, you look, we remember last, uh, you know, draft or, or two years ago when, you know, Arizona drafted all these wide receivers, we were excited. They, they were all graded well. Now we're seeing it actually translate on the field with these guys and actually, you know, have some validity to it. You look at A.J. Green, lastly, I mean, he leads Arizona in red zone targets with four, but he's only converted one of them. He's only catching about 42% of his targets. So really not nothing, anything to write home about. You want to you know, know a wild stat? Yeah, go for it. A.J. Green, he actually leads this team in targets. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised when you're only catching 42. percent That's why we're not talking more about him. <laughs> you know, I I, I, I thought that was at, wild too. That, I was that's like, super wait, wild. Huh? Yeah. and that's that could be why Hopkins is is suffering in target share. Maybe they're trying to get AJ going. Maybe that's the situation there. I'm not sure. I looked at the split between Kirk and Moore because I think that they might eat into each other's value here. Both are hovering around 74 percent slot share. Kirk is ranked number 14 in slot snaps. Moore ranked number 15. So that's what we're looking. At. We're looking at guys both attacking the slot, and they can't both be on the fa- field at the same time when they're both in the slot. So, you know, you look at Rondell Moore doing with, you know, t- doing all of this that we talked about, all those points he's scoring, how electric he is, with only 29% and then 46% of the team snaps. Get this man some more snaps. Um, can, so, can I just yeah. say with Rondell Moore on this one, it's amazing. We hear these talks of these these like gadget type players all the time, you know, the Tavon Austin roles, even like the Miko Hardman's, these burners, the Henry Ruggs, maybe you go for speed on these guys. I am admitting that last week watching Rondale Moore was the first time I've been exposed to Rondale Moore and I got Tyreek Hill vibes on it. It was different. It was breakaway. It's separation. It's there's a lot of fast guys in the NFL. He's fast enough to be in a different category or moves in a way to be in a different category. It's definitely that game speed, right? I don't know that he's a game wrecker as far as 40 time or whatever, but when he gets on the field to play football, he wrecks the game and shout out to that comp Austin and shout out to Johnny who made that comp a little bit earlier in the off season when Rondell Moore was drafted by the Cardinals. This is some stuff that's really brewing there. I want to see what happens here. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I look, I think should Hopkins mix miss green, which should see some flex upside, but that's the only spot I'm starting AJ green. I am rolling Kirk and more out in flex uh, positions. If you, if you want to in this matchup, just because like I said, eighth most yards per game to opposing wide receivers. And before I kick it over to Johnny, the last weapon, maybe the most undervalued weapon is Max Williams, who kind of peaked up last week. The game plan really seemed to call for Williams. He was targeted seven times, racked up just under a hundred receiving yards. Look, I know tight ends a scary place, but Jacksonville has given up the 10th most points per game to the position i think if you picked him up on waivers i i put him in the waiver column if you snagged him i think you know obviously your other options weren't that good I, i'd roll him out here in this matchup i think there's a lot to be had in this game johnny i mean i know we you know we could talk till we're blue in the face about kyler but he's, he's setting the world on fire right now he really is he's the number one quarterback right now for fantasy football which we did expect right we had him ranked as such and, he, and there's no signs of him slowing down this week as they get Jacksonville, who's giving up the seventh most passing yards to opposing quarterbacks, roughly 300 passing yards per game, and giving up about 20 rushing yards per game, which is also what Kyler is averaging, 
right now on the season. So it looks to be another great game for Kyler. Get him in your lineup if you if there were any doubts. You know, he's only averaging twenty rush yards a game. Yeah, he, so yeah, well, 25, 20, 25 rushing yard. Yeah, I don't think anyone would have predicted him to be right. the number one quarterback with having sub 30 yards rushing per game. We talked about his arm, but the legs came in so much as well. That's a really impressive stature. I didn't know that about yeah. our boy. Yeah, and like the air raid is finally coming out from Cliff Kingsbury because they finally have the weapons to get this offense vertical and push it down the field and do the things they need to do. That's exciting stuff. You think the only thing that could get in the Cardinals way is game script now. And that's because when we look at the other side of the ball, they're playing the Jacksonville Jaguars in Jacksonville this week. And part of that game script that gets away from Jacksonville kind of causes concern for James Robinson. And so I'll ask Austin, do we think James Robinson's season is over for good? Do we think we're done with his ability to be that RB one or even an RB two? in some cases forgive the cliche but i think it's just getting started travis yeah you know like (laughs) temper expectations we're not going to get last year's performance because urban meyer is the coach and i was perusing through some of the reddit comments and people want to remind you of what uh, urban meyer is to them and i'm not going to repeat those comments on air they were spicy (laughs) and they were uh they they included a lot of words you can't say on network television um the reason why I bring that television. one up is he just creates unstable situations that you really can't totally rely on. Things you can get away in a college environment, but in a professional environment, you just might not be able to cover your butt the way that you were when you were dealing with teenagers. Um, but let's go ahead back to the question at heart, Travis. I want to talk a little bit about James Robinson, talk about Carlos Hyde, because he's the one who's impacting James Robinson's output, and then bring it back to some quotes we heard from Urban Meyer, which I think give you at least some qualitative reasons to feel encouraged looking forward, or might be something you package up in a pitch to try to deal James Robinson off of your team. So looking back in the last two weeks, week one, James Robinson uh, had five touches for 25 yards. Carlos Hyde had nine carries um, in week one, out-touched him there. We didn't like to see that. We did like James Robinson's involvement in the passing game, though, week one, where he had six targets, caught three of them for 29 yards, outdoing Carlos's Hyde's two targets, two catches for just 14. Moving to week two, though, we really saw it begin to shift there. Carlos Hyde only had two carries in week two, nine carries the previous week, outdoing James Robinson just two last week. And James Robinson had 11 of his own carries, took him 47 yards. He caught all three of his targets for 17 more yards on top of that, where Carlos Hyde dropped both of his passes, zero for two on the target day. So the numbers are shifting towards James Robinson's favor in terms of opportunity. He's also performing efficiently with those opportunities given, which doesn't mean there's a reason to slow down. He is their best bet. I want to bring it now to a couple of the comments Urban Meyer made a couple of days ago on the Jaguars Sports Talk Radio. Um, on needing to have a more balanced slash run the ball more, Urban Meyer said it's going to be a good defense You know, this week going up against their Arizona. Um, We find ourselves behind, and that gets us in the way of that, but we need to be better in terms of balancing and running the ball more. When talking about James Robinson, Urban Meyer said he's as advertised as a person. He's the hardest working guy on the team. I've been working with him, and I want him to get to the second level. Three to four yards a play is good, but every once in a while you need to pop one. So to answer your question, he is as advertised, and I'm dying to get him to the second level. Now, this is what's interesting. When he says three to four yards a play is good, James Robinson is averaging 4.5 yards per carry. So he's not averaging three to four yards per carry. He's averaging four to five yards per carry. And the fact that Urban Meyer, though, decided to spin it on the low side brings back the comments we heard Coach Hugh Jackson make of Coach Speak is there to fulfill whatever motive you're trying to do. 
I think Urban Meyer does want to see James Robinson pop and get to that next level, which is why he's then saying, yeah, three to four yards is good, which is not even factual because he's obviously trying to use it as a motivating factor. That makes sense if he's the best running back on your team. It makes sense if you're trying to run the ball well, score points, win games. I think James Robinson is slotted for an improved workload, an improved set of opportunities. If that's going to happen, we'll see. But he's a really good running back, and I think more opportunity is coming his way as early as Sunday, Travis. Yeah, like uh, Urban Meyer, let's do some math. Four and a half yards per carry, you run the ball three times, you've got a first down. I mean, just keep feeding the rock to James Robinson. It's not that hard. I think the problem is is that they've invested in Trevor Lawrence so heavily, and Urban Meyer has built such a great offense everywhere he's gone, gone and he's it's been full of weapons. So speaking of weapons, Johnny, Marvin Jones seems to be the only one that Trevor Lawrence is making viable right now. Do we believe that, that we can trust that and continue to only trust Marvin Jones? Uh, yes and no. Uh, the frustrating part about this is that they're kind of locked in this three-way time split and it keeps changing from game to game as to who is the true alpha between Marvin Jones and DJ Chark. Not entirely unpredictable, you know, coming into the season. We knew that Daryl Bevel tends to do this with his offense and his weapons. Uh, but again, Marvin Jones so far has scored the touchdowns, which has been kind of the difference maker. Um, Marvin Jones, 24% market share. I do think that you can get him in your lineup as a flex play this week because Arizona is giving up the ninth most fantasy points to opposing wide receivers. They've given up four receiving touchdowns this season. Marvin Jones could draw Byron Murphy, though, and he has been playing pretty good at the corner for Arizona. So do watch out for that. Uh, DJ Chark uh, is also he's just an upside play. You don't necessarily have to get him in your lineup, but it is, you know, a, a very high upside because uh, DJ Chark right now eighth in air yards in the NFL. He's had four deep targets over two games. He is drawing a 20 percent target share, which is a decent amount of targets. Uh, but again, it's whether or not they hit. And that's where it's kind of wild because Trevor Lawrence is really struggling to get the ball to his receivers consistently. So again, DJ Chark, uh, until they get on a better chemistry because he's not catching a, a whole lot of them, he continues to just be a boomer bust play for you. And then just touching on LaVisca Chenault real quick, uh, he's dealing with a shoulder injury, he, which is not good for a yak guy uh, yards after contact. So I would not be looking to get LaVisca in your lineup this week. Uh, it can, but the, like the one nice thing that you're going to see about all these wide receivers eventually is that they are going to be behind in a lot of games, which is going to cause a lot of throwing attempts, which is why the upside and unpredictability is so much there for Marvin Jones and DJ Chark. And that was kind of the reason why we like Trevor Lawrence to start the season as maybe eventually being a streamable option or a two QB option. We just have not seen that yet. Two or more picks in both games, sneaky rushing upside that we heard about all offseason yet to show itself only 20 yards through two weeks. I mean, Kyler's averaging 25 a game, so that's not going to get it done. Trevor, ugly 50% completion percentage here for Trevor Lawrence. The schedule doesn't look as dicey as as the first couple games, so we'll check back after this Arizona and Cincy game on any kind of streamability for Trevor Lawrence. Moving on to the next game, we've got the Buffalo Bills hosting the Washington football team. This is a 45.5 point over under, and we have Washington as road dogs by nine points to Buffalo. Um, we start with the Washington side of the ball, and we got to start with maybe their best playmaker right now. It's Terry McLaurin. But we have Adam Humphreys emerging on the PPR radar. So, Austin, talk to us a little bit about the pass catchers for Washington because Tyler Heineken actually sustaining this offense in a, in a decent way for us right now. 
Yeah, sustaining it from a numbers perspective and an eyeball perspective, you watch him make some of those gutsy throws. You watch him go for it to say maybe Dami Brown in the end zone, and you're like, this guy is trying to win the game. You love to see people trying to win the game. It sounds basic, but you watch a lot of game managers maybe not try to do exactly that. So we got Terry McLaurin, Dami Brown, and Adam Humphreys up for consideration. Terry McLaurin, matchup proof, near matchup proof. He's right in that category if he's not already there. Um, so we can just move on from him, start him regardless if he's got a Demogorgon on him or whatever. It doesn't really matter. Dami Brown, though, is the one who's interesting to me along with Adam Humphreys. We'll start with the latter there because you brought him up, Travis. He's second on the team in receptions. That's Adam Humphreys, tied with Dami Brown. Um, but I'm really not a fan of his 6.0 yards per carry, and I'm not a fan of his third on the team in snap percentage. He is a PPR option, though. Um, just that 6.0 yards per carry is not going to be enough outside of PPR formats. And I'm not excited about it, even in PPR formats from the opportunity, from what he can do with that opportunity as well. There's just not a large enough sample size. And I don't think the sample size we have is really that encouraging. Danny Brown though, is a little bit more of an interesting prospect. I'm not getting him in my lineups this week. Spoiler alert. I'm it's more of a dynasty play. It's a look down the road. Maybe it's a deep flyer flex play if you're if you're running a little thin that week um but brown is number two uh, in terms of snap percentage number two in targets and i like his 11.3 yards per catch that we saw in week two we just don't have enough time from the rookie to recommend him in a start there's better flyers on your waiver but i, I think he's worth keeping an eye on as the season progresses and the rapport between tyler heineke and his past catchers also develops Johnny, what, speaking of pass catchers, is there an option here for Logan Thomas? I know he was a preseason favorite uh, as a tight end one. How are you feeling about Logan in this matchup? Definitely like him more that Heineke is the is the quarterback, right? We talked about it last week, how Heineke generally likes to target him a little bit more. And this is just a little bit of proof. In the three games of Heineke under center, getting more significant action, you've gotten Logan Thomas 5 for 74, three for 30 and a touchdown five for 45 uh, in that third game. I understand it's not like a mega amount, like they're not, you know, Travis Kelsey numbers, but he, you like to see the 19 combined targets for Thomas and you should see him continue to go to him as a somewhat safety blanket. I just want to remind people last week, Waller posted five for 65 against the same Steelers defense. So uh, the tight end position is somewhat, and that sounds like, terrible that we're recommending you know it's like oh he, he went for five for 65 but for a tight end that's pretty solid production that you'll take as like a floor uh, and then he always has that upside well, of washington's of playing buffalo or excuse me um yeah thank you <laughs> sorry I, I was like i was like oh, no. oh wait a second <laughs> i don't know why i had that in my in my uh notes as i don't know why i post, posted the waller thing in there all, that was my all, all good uh yeah i think logan thomas continue you should probably continue to roll him out there because you know to austin's point where what we're seeing is none of those wide receivers are really emerging as a bigger play a threat and i think logan thomas could actually soak up a little bit more of that unless we get to a point where J.D. McKissick, who all we'll talk about now, has kind of emerged as an annoying person to those Antonio Gibson truthers. Uh, guilty as charged. I am one of those Gibson truthers a little bit on tilt right now. But I wanted to break it down for Whisper Nation. So Gibson, he's posted the RB34 numbers through two weeks. He seeded third down work and two-minute drill work to McKissick on Thursday night football. But 65% and 61% of snaps through two weeks, and Gibson is still averaging 19 touches per 
game, which is eighth among RBs through week uh, two weeks. So please calm down just a little bit, guys. I think it's okay. He, uh, if we look at McKissick, you know, I had a lot of friends asking me, what's going on? Is it pass blocking? And you look at the pass blocking rating. Yes, like McKissick has a slightly better rating, but they're both sub 60. And then as our friend Ian Harditz pointed out, McKissick was actually only in on two pass blocking plays in that game. So it's not like they really want to use McKissick as a pass blocker. They actually use him check this out when they're passing, they want him to be out there catching balls. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, I would think uh, so JD McKissick increased from 36 to 44% snap share with Heineke as the starter was in third down third and two minute drill, as we talked about and went five of six for 83 yards. Look, Buffalo's been stingy against running backs. He's, they've only allowed 6.7 points per game to enemy running backs. You likely can't bench Gibson for anyone um, of worth. And like I said, he's top eight in, in, uh, usage right now or in touches. So keep rolling them out there. Um, I see McKissick as a poor, poor man, Hines who will have value, but will be, it'll be hard to predict when that will be unless we can guarantee it's going to be a come from behind game. They're nine point dogs right now in this game. Um, I'm not going to suggest starting him, um, you know, unless it's against like a team like Buffalo, which is right now, I think he's on the PPR flex borderline only as those nine point dogs right now. And one other point to add is that Gibson is dealing with a bit of a shoulder Ron Rivera said he's fine he's missing Wednesday practices as rest he's going to be out there but if they can take him off the field for some plays and get equal return from another running back they're going to do that it makes sense to do from a health perspective I love when coaches are just like he's fine yeah, yeah and we expect him to be fine. He's fine. They're uh, like, yeah, we'll, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about a, a running back a little later where the coach said that exact kind of <laughs> thing. It's pretty yeah. good. It is pretty funny how coaches do that. Well, speaking of running backs, Johnny, let's move to the Buffalo backfield and break it down now that both of those Buffalo backs are back in the mix. Wow. Alliteration, oh, my man. Boo, boo, boo. Uh, all right. Well, <laughs> too bad we didn't have like a running back here with the last name with a B. That yeah, would have right? been that would have been classic. Singletary. Yeah, Bevin Singletary. Yeah, Brita's there. There you go. but I don't think he's gonna get very many touches this week. So unfortunately, yeah, don't don't start Brita. Uh you got Singletary. What is interesting about Singletary, and there's another point I wanna like loop in here, uh, that one of my co-hosts made a great point. And it's something that you want to think about. But Devin Singletary, what's nice, playing on 70% of the team's offensive snaps over the, uh, over the last two weeks. He has uh, seen back-to-back games with 14-plus touches. And then dating back to last season, uh, despite all of that usage or the lead-back role in the usage, uh, he's only had three games in which he has scored 15 or more fantasy points. And one of those weeks was last week. So the ceiling isn't very high for a guy like Devin Singletary, but it is very safe and that, you know, he's going to get the majority of the snaps. You know, he's going to get at least 14 touches. Um, it, it just, it's a safe play, but not a very high ceiling play. If you need to throw him in your lineup, you can, you know, he's at least going to get some volume. Uh, and then there's the upside that he can maybe sneak one through to get the touchdown. But there's the problem is that like, this is like one of the worst parts of the, of a running back situation in backfield is that Zach Moss is, is truly just the goal line vulture. And he's only playing on 28, 29% of snaps uh, in week two, but he did score two touchdowns on only just 10 touches. So I don't know if, you know, if you want to play that touchdown game is certainly uh, a gamble that you can take because the Buffalo Bills should be in the uh, red zone quite often. However, there's no 
there's no rushing yard upside for Moss. So it's it's kind of like a catch-22. You don't really get the better side of either one uh, unless you're Singletary. I do want to touch on uh, Austin and our DMs uh, had asked, what is the difference between Singletary and the Buffalo Bills offense, which we know is prolific, and Kansas City and Pat Mahomes and CEH? Why are we viewing these two situations so vastly different when it does seem like they're very comparable? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Austin astutely, you know, asked that for sure. And I think, you know, initially it's like, well, maybe we have pedigree that like, of, of course, ties us to CEH. We have the coach in Andy Reid that ties us to CEH. We have the quarterback as good as Allen was last year. We have Patrick Mahomes doing that every single year that ties. So there's some factors there, but it's a very close comp. And I, I would just say this, I think Singletary until those snaps dip below and get more even with Moss, I think that's the one you roll through. And I think that's, you know, what Johnny's trying to say there, you know, Devin Singletary's uh, nickname in college was the motor, but we all know that the motor that runs this offense is Josh Allen. He's yet to crack 18 points in four point touchdown formats this year. So he's starting a little bit slow, no three touchdown games after having 10 in 2020, he's yet to throw for over 300 yards. He also has no rushing touchdowns. And Johnny just pointed out the running backs have three combined on the year. The schedule's opening up a bit. He's going to have Houston and Tennessee in two of the next three. Also, Washington football team just gave up a 30-burger to Daniel Jones. And, well, we know that Daniel Jones is is not as good as Josh Allen. So so we should have a a sign of hope here. I do want to ask, Austin, if we think that Josh Allen's struggles are trickling down to the pass catchers not named Stephon Diggs. Well, they're definitely trickling down here. You're not excited to be starting anybody who's not named Stefan Diggs. Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley would be the two wide receivers up for consideration. Um, Taking a look at those two, though, if Josh Allen's production increases, as you allude to, based on schedule and a couple other factors, Beasley, we know that he's a consideration in PPR formats, but his yards per catch is really just too low outside of PPR formats. Um, Emmanuel Sanders, though, I think if you believe in the Josh Allen uptick, you should be trying to acquire Emmanuel Sanders. And here's why. He's right behind Stefan Diggs in terms of snap percentage at 86%. And Sanders' yards per catch are pretty phenomenal at 16.5 yards per catch through the first two weeks. He is the big play option for Josh Allen outside of Stefan Diggs. And he rarely leaves the field, and he's likely not very expensive for you. You can probably pick him up, and he can deliver you some big games, and this is kind of what he's about. It's not not necessarily a flash in the pan. I think this could be something we see a little bit more regularly if this Buffalo Bills offense does step up across the board. I agree with that. And if we could get the New York Jets offense to step up, maybe they wouldn't be 10.5 road underdogs to none other than the Denver Broncos who are undefeated guys. This is a 41.5 over under. And like I said, 10 and a half point favorites at home for Denver, which means fire up your Denver defense, but we'll talk about the New York jets side of the ball, even though we probably don't want to. Um, and guys, Braxton Berrios, I looked this up the other day, like your boy, he, he's tied for first in targets in the NFL. Uh, Braxton and he's Berrios. on everyone's waiver wire still. Yeah. So, <laughs> Austin, what do we do about Braxton Berrios and the rest of these wide receivers right now? What are we supposed to do? Pick him up. You won't. <laughs> I, I won't. I'm not. I won't. I'm not, no, I, I won't. won't. I don't blame you. 
No, I'm not going to do it. And I, if you ask me who do I trust on this Jets wide receiver core, my answer would be irrelevant because I don't trust the New York Jets. So mm. there's not a receiver that I can trust if I don't trust the team. I don't trust the quarterback. I don't trust the operations that are going on there right now. There's just no way to pull a take that has any real merit to it. It's like Corey Davis is a former first-round pick who's popped off here and there, who we liked early on, who week one did well, week two did not. Elijah Moore is a high-ceiling rookie that we're expecting a lot from long-term, but he hasn't done it early on in the season. And then there's Braxton Berrios, the guy we expected nothing of, but he's the show topic for the wide receiver conversation. Um, Corey Davis and Elijah Moore, they're the one-two around 81% snap share. Braxton is Zach Wilson's favorite, though, it looks like. Um, 18 targets through the first two weeks compared to 12 a pop for Davis and Moore. Berrios also has a pretty nice yards per carry or yards per catch, averaging over 10. So he's kind of like a mid-play wide receiver who just kind of gets a lot of targets um, relative to the time that he does have on the field. So you like that. But he's going to be a volatile player. Um, we'll gain more insights as the sample size grows. Um, but I'm not going to be starting any Jets player with any form of confidence. I'm not going to be starting them without confidence either, Travis. I'd find someone else. Yeah, I love it. You know, Baltimore is big trust, and then we've got no trust in, in the Jets here for sure. Uh, it's similar in the rushing attack, although we saw some signs of life from this uh, from these running backs. After Novak got over 10 carries in week one, we saw both Ty Johnson and Michael Carter get over 12 apiece, even in a dismal performance against New England where they could have been game scripted out or should have been. I feel like they just saw, Zach, saw enough out of Zach Wilson and said, let's get the backs going. Both backs finished over four yards per carry. Carter got five he got over five yards per carry both need to be rostered and watched closely i would say because as this evolves if tevin coleman can take that sure back seat maybe the offense becomes that mini san fran like a lot of the coaching staff came from um denver is not the matchup to trot either of them out there but uh i think keep them on your roster denver allowing only 5.9 fantasy points per game through two games we don't like the backs this week do we like zach wilson as a streamer at all johnny mm -hmm. Not this week, uh, but I do want to mention that over the last two weeks, he's thrown 37 times and 33 times, a fairly healthy amount. We talked about Joe Burrow getting up in that 41 range. Uh, the next two weeks, Tennessee and Atlanta. So you could potentially see him uh, as like a streamer on one of those weeks, uh, but not this week. When we look at the Denver Broncos, they're undefeated, Austin, and part of it is with a solid performance from Teddy Bridgewater, the pass catchers, but also we've got two capable backs. So I wanted to yeah. do a temperature check on what's going on with those backs because Whisper Nation, the people in the fantasy football community have been climbing and, and clamoring for Javante Williams taking over here, but we're kind of seeing an even split right now. We're seeing an even split. I think we're starting to see the efficiency and the opportunity start to shift. And I think it's starting to shift a little bit earlier than we had expected. Now, to take it back to the preseason, Johnny, you, Travis, myself, we talked a lot about this backfield. And Javante Williams, nothing but excitement for the young man. But Melvin Gordon is still the lead dog, still under contract, still performed well last year. And we didn't expect him to go anywhere. We No one, no one was throwing out the washed card on Melvin Gordon. It was just more excitement for the rookie, Javante Williams. Melvin Gordon had a great week one, a big part why he's a top 10 halfback right now as Javante Williams is sitting outside of the top 40. But remember that Melvin Gordon week one performance had a 70-yard touchdown scamper, and that really went a long way when we do only have two games to evaluate. Um, in week two, though, Melvin and Javante both had 13 carries, began to even up. But the latter there, and Javante was more efficient um, and productive. 
31 yards versus 64 yards on the ground. Both caught the targets thrown their way, Melvin with two, Javante with one. So this, as I had said, is moving in the direction we expected it to. Melvin is a pretty good running back who holds the role, but Javante is a real up-and-coming spark plug who will eventually take over as the 1A, or dare I even say it, the 1. But it's looking like it's happening a little bit quicker than we thought. Um, It's just two weeks and I hate talking about you know taking the big plays out, but if you really do take that one Melvin Gordon play out, it's a totally different situation that we're looking at here. And I don't know how many of those big plays we can really expect from Melvin Gordon moving forward. I like Javante this week. I like Javante moving forward. I think the transition is happening a little bit quicker than we thought, and that's nothing negative to say about Melvin Gordon. Javante Williams is just outliving the expectations early on. Austin, you've talked before about those outliers, but I think they're more important, right? As as we go on, if like that, that's the big run after we're at five weeks, and that's the one thing he's done. Then we're really talking about something that's detrimental to his value, correct? Yeah. Okay. Agreed. Uh, I I would I would agree with that as well, uh, Johnny. When we look at Teddy Bridgewater, he's doing great. I think he's a fringe QB one this week. Twenty four points in back to back games. Obviously, four touchdowns, no picks. I think this is a fine matchup. Obviously, game script could take him out of it, but it's really about the weapons he's got around him. He's able to put some weapons even post the Jerry Judy injury here. Um, so, talk to us a little bit on on these pass catchers outside of the Jerry Judy injury. Cortland Sutton. Absolutely blew up last week without Jerry Judy in the lineup. He had a really good matchup as well. We talked about it on last week's matchup breakdown. Told you he was a buy low because we didn't buy into the lack of production in week one uh, because of the matchup. Comes back week two and it just absolutely destroys turns, you know, nine target or sorry, uh, 12 targets into nine receptions uh, for like 150 yards. Very impressive. Teddy was looking for him early and often, which you do like to see. Uh, You also like the fact that Sutton leads the NFL right now with 301 air yards through the two weeks. So definitely liking them, you know, somewhat getting on the, on a, on a better page moving forward, but better, better days for, for Sutton and this offense, because Sutton is going to be one of those guys that you could potentially start to say is a solid wide receiver to potentially sneak up into that wide receiver one conversation. Cause we've seen it there before with Jerry Judy out. Uh, I do want to mention Tim Patrick. He is seeing 74% of the snaps. Uh, and he saw that in week two, week one was 70%. He is somewhat of a touchdown dependent wide receiver as he hasn't seen over four targets in a game this season. And even dating back to last year, most of his games in which he scored over 10 fantasy points uh, were a a result of him having a touchdown. So there is some ceiling concern uh, with a guy like Tim Patrick because he isn't necessarily taking all of those reps that you thought that Jerry Judy uh, was going to get, you know. Uh, And so that also leads me to KJ Hamler in which I would not, I wouldn't look to be starting him. He is just a pure dart throw and he's not getting uh, over 50% snap share. So uh, not a lot of confidence there. How about with Noah Fant? We we were rocking with Noah Fant. Yeah, I, I, I would. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, listen to the pass catcher side, but I did throw a little note in there, Travis, about Noah Fant. I don't, I'm not surprised by us jumping over him because he's been super quiet going on his way to being the number five tight end in PPR right now. He's a top it's, five tight end. And like I think we gave him talking about fan. Yeah. We were giving him like the Jordan Reed treatment. We're so sick of guys like Jordan Reed and Evan Ingram who just get hurt. And then when they were like, Oh, you know what? Like just forget about it. But like really fan is here. And like Teddy B not a long history of tight ends, but using fan. 
but here's the point too he hasn't broken double digit fantasy points yet so to johnny's point that's just <laughs> what tight ends do like right. he hasn't broken double digit fantasy points and he's a top five option yeah it's you're like, like top five and then it's like well the break after three is really yeah i love it love uh it. well let's move on to the las vegas raiders who are hosting the miami dolphins in a 45 and a half point over under out there in the desert um, they are favored, they being the Las Vegas Raiders by three and a half here. We're going to start with the Miami side of the ball. And really, the story here is Tua missing, uh, you know, action last week, going to miss this game, maybe more. Um, and so in steps, Jacoby Brissett. And what are our expectations, Austin, or our Brissett expectations of Jacoby Brissett? Had to try and throw that in there um, uh, with him in this offense. And, you know, what can we see this actually have an effect on for them? But you miss all the shots you don't take. Michael Scott, Wayne Gretzky, Travis Travis Cables. Cables. (laughs) Appreciate that. Of course. And I think that Briss is going to miss a lot of the shots he takes this week too, man. (laughs) Probably. Um, Looking back on him, to be honest, doing some research for the show, I was a little bit bummed out. Um, I had just expected post-New England Jacoby Brissett to be a little bit more of a cool story than uh, what I ended up seeing. He's not awful. Uh, but I was just hoping for a better storyline on this. Brissett's all right. His average depth of target is 8.0. You're not stoked on that. Um, his completion percentage is sub 60%. You're really not stoked on that. And he's got a 31 to 14 touchdown interception ratio. That's just a little bit over two touchdowns to one interception, which is all right. It's going to keep him in the NFL, but it's not going to probably win you a bunch of games. Um, he can play football. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> you're going to want two a back. The Dolphins, I think, are going to want two a back. Um, I think Brissett's going to want two a back as well. Yeah, it's uh, he's not he's not that bad. No, I mean, he's, I mean not, he's not. Johnny, I, he, listen, when we say Jacoby Myers, what what happens? You yell Jacoby. When we say Jacoby Brissett, I didn't hear a peep for a while out of you. So, well, is he uh, that bad? No, I mean, he's not, Johnny. He's not. I don't think he is. I, he's just, I maybe, he's maybe boring. Maybe it, I was expecting more. Maybe I was hoping to see something flashier. You know, like the sub 60%, though, it's like I don't even think he's a super efficient game manager. And he's not one of those guys then who like eclipses 300 yards regularly either. He just like no, plays football. Right. He's much more of a game manager, which is kind yeah, of what Miami just kind of needs. Uh, I will say, like, he he is better than people think he is. And he's the capable. fact that and the fact like he hasn't ever really had the weapons that he's about to walk into, right? He has Devontae Parker, Waddle, and Fuller. Now, I'm not saying you would start any of these guys this week just because you're not sure. None of us really know what the market share is going to be for any of these guys. Who is going to kind of take the back seat? It could be Waddle. It could be Parker or it could be Fuller straight up. Like he could be the guy that takes a step back. I will say that in general, Will Fuller, though, as a wide receiver, makes his quarterbacks better. Uh, you look at Deshaun Watson, and when I'm not trying to compare uh, Watson to Brissett in any means, but it is you know nice to see that Watson averaged 8.8 yards per game or per attempt uh, without Will Fuller in or with Will Fuller in the lineup, and only 7.6 without him in the lineup, and then 26.1 fantasy points per game while Fuller was in the lineup versus 23.1 without Fuller in the lineup. So we know Fuller is a field stretcher. We know that he helps out quarterbacks. How much will he help out Brissett? We we don't know because he's never really had this kind of uh, talent at the wide receiver position because the last time it was in, you know, Indianapolis, they didn't have anybody besides T.Y. Hilton. Um, and, And so just wait and see on it, but it's not, 
so much doom and gloom, I wouldn't say. Uh, Johnny, are you a, starting? I mean, put your money where your mouth is. You starting any of these pass catchers? Not this week, right? No, not not okay. this week because uh, you have to see what the market share is going to be. We, we're not sure who's going to take a step back as far as this the snaps. Yeah, you would. Yeah, you would assume that somebody takes a step back. Well, yeah. Miles Gaskin's kind of taken a step back, and he's he's a little bit on a milk carton right now for fantasy GMs. I wanted to take a look at Miles Gaskin. Um, he's still averaged over five yards per carry. Still top twenty in PFF rushing grade, top twenty in PFF elusive rating, but he's yet to see over sixty-one percent snap share. And this offense, obviously, in a flux last week, will be in a flux as Johnny said. We need to see what happens. He's yet to see double-digit carries this year. Um, in two games, he saw that in five of his six games. And in those six games, he finished with double digit fantasy points. So unless Miami's going to commit back to the run as they were in their conservative offense last year, which they might now with with Brissett in the lineup, I think Gaskin's going to struggle in a lot of these games. Luckily for Gaskin and Gaskin truthers, uh, Miami is playing Vegas. They've allowed 20.5 fantasy points per game on average to the position. Um, and the desert believes that Miami is actually going to stick around in this game, regardless of Brissett. They're, you know, only three and a half point dogs. So, yeah, I mean, that's part of their defense. I think that's part of ball control. And I think Gaskin's a fine start this week. All right, moving on to the Las Vegas Raiders. We're going to talk a little bit about the running back position as well. Um, Austin, we've seen some injuries in the backfield to Josh Jacobs, which we thought would mean, all right, let's get Drake more involved. It ended up being Peyton Barber who led the team. Why is Peyton Barber still on an NFL roster? If I wasn't wearing a hat, I'd be pulling my hair out right now. But Austin, talk to us a little bit about Kenyon Drake, Peyton Barber, because we have to. Yeah, neither one of these guys really looked that great last week going up against the top-ranked Pittsburgh Steelers rush defense or run defense. But Barber's 2.46 yards per carry did actually stat out better than Drake's 1.29 yards per carry on seven carries. And now we expected to see a little bit of this uh, in terms of the opportunity, the lack of efficiency. I don't think we're surprised with either, but just because of Barber's, albeit small, uh, uh, improvement over Drake's action on the ground, I think we're going to see Barber stay involved in the game. And it's not going to be great. It's not going to have a lot of action, but it's going to curb Drake's opportunity just a little bit. It's not going to be as exciting of a day as you'd hope for with Drake. But here's what you can get excited about and stay excited about it if you were riding Drake is that he's been involved in the passing attack. We expected to see this last week going up against Pittsburgh. We expect to see this as well moving forward. Five for six on his targets, 46 yards. I expect to see him stay involved there. I actually think he's going to get more involved in the rushing attack this week as well going up against a 23rd ranked rush defense in Miami. So um, you don't like to see Peyton Barber there, but he's going to be there. I still am starting Drake. I'm liking it. I'm just probably bumping him down to like an RB3 flex status versus like a higher end RB2 that I think he we saw him potentially being if he was really getting all the work. I mean, do we think it's the 17 game season? Do we think the Jacobs injury was a little too early? Is that why they're not feeding Drake? I mean, they paid Drake like they wanted him to be the guy instead of Jacobs. If Jacobs were to go down, it just seems like they want the one two punch. Jacobs is the thunder or Peyton Barber as the thunder. And then you got some lightning with Kenyon Drake. Um, 
guys, I mean, the big story, though, like, don't look now. The flipping Raiders are undefeated. Uh, Derek Carr's really good. The offense is good. He's a top 10 fantasy quarterback. He's got over 800 yards passing through two weeks, four touchdowns, one interception. And he's done this against Baltimore and Pittsburgh, both very solid D's coming into the end of the year. They both have some injuries, so that probably helped him a little bit. You've got Miami. They're going to provide another test as they're only allowing 16 points per game to the position. But they did, you know, you know, they did lose Tua. That that's not on the defense, but that could put them into you know, miss opportunities on offense, which could give the ball back to Carr. And then I just trust this Vegas offense. I know I probably shouldn't, but I trust it right now. Twenty nine and a half points per game through two weeks, and I think that could continue to stand. They've got some sneaky weapons, you know. Obviously Waller, Rugs, with all that stuff, and then Brian Edwards, who we talked about, Hunter Renfro, everybody's favorite dad bod. So speaking of all those weapons, Johnny, um, figuring out which weapon not named Waller we can trust in, and if that's possible at all for this week. Yeah, I'm only trusting Waller here. I understand Ruggs had a, a monster game. We talked about this. The lure of Ruggs is going to be significant because he is that monster reception guy, and he is going to come down with a long touchdown from time to time. Don't expect that to happen this week going against Xavier Howard for the Miami Dolphins, which is one of the best corners in the league. And uh, and then you talk about Brian Edwards. I do like him as well as from a wide receiver perspective throughout, you know, later on in the season, not in this game. He's going against Byron Jones, also one of the better corners in this league. And so when you're looking at this, the problem is you can't trust either one, Brian Edwards or Ruggs this week uh, because of the tough matchups. Uh, and the reality is Darren Waller is the number one option here in the passing game. So that's the one you're going to go with. Uh, but again, Brian Edwards and Ruggs should be rostered uh, on all types of uh, leagues because of how well they're playing one. And once the schedule opens up a little bit more, comes a little bit more uh, cornerback friendly per se, more so after their their week nine bye uh, is is when they, they start to get opened up schedule there. Feed me like you would feed Waller. Feed me the points that are going to be in this next game. Minnesota hosting the Seattle Seahawks in a 55 and a half point over under. That's the highest Vegas has on the week. Two and a half point uh, favorites at home are Minnesota, which would mean to me that we're we're in a situation where like there's going to be a lot of points for both teams here. So let's look at the Seattle side of the ball. They're on the road here, and we look at Carson. If buried in the box score is you know kind of a, a, a ho hum day. He did fall in for two touchdowns last week, but Austin, I want to ask if we're keeping calm and carrying on with Chris Carson. Yeah, we're keeping calm with. Chris Carson, you know, looking at his 13 touches in week two, Travis gave me a little bit of pause. The 2.38 yards per carry week two gave me a little bit of concern. But then I looked at the rest of the running backs on the Seattle offense and I breathed air like COVID had never existed. Carson is the only <laughs> running back on the team, essentially. Uh, and I say that noting there are technically five running backs on the team. Um, what would you say, Johnny, is a respectable snap percentage? for a a halfback who's leading it like just like like a respectable like a, like a 52 to 54 percent is pretty respectable yeah i would agree with that chris carson's above 70 percent on the year yeah. right now that's super respectable that's super respectable right <laughs> put, put some respect yeah. on his yeah. name yeah on that right and alex collins is the only halfback last week who got another touch he had one he took it for 25 yards talk about efficiency and then he didn't get another shot at. like hit the bench yeah. 
Yeah. It's too good. Hey, you're doing too well. We don't want to make Chris Carson look bad. My, my point with it was that there's no other real halfback. Like, if right. they're running the rock, they're running it through Carson. It doesn't matter if another guy busts out a 25-yard play. We're not running the ball. And if we are, we're going to Chris Carson. They're just not always running the rock that often, but Chris Carson is the dude. Absolutely. I would agree with that. And I think, you know, Alex Collins just there to kind of get some water for Chris Carson to make sure he's fresh in between plays. Uh, I want to really fast. If you saw him running that 25, here's the water. Bam. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about these wide receivers that are just, you know, obviously so good for the Seattle Seahawks, but we have a situation where Lockett's hot start to the year is kind of making me question if we were a year early on saying to draft Lockett over DK, because that was kind of what I was saying last off season. And then obviously DK finished with the better year. We look at these guys, they're both tied in targets through two weeks. The difference is that Lockett's catch 12, caught 12 of them, 278 yards through two weeks, second in the NFL in receiving yards, and he's also scored three touchdowns. DK has 10 catches, only 103 yards, and right now averaging a full yard less in yards per target than his 2020 number, which was 10 yards per. Um, look, I think that there's better days ahead for DK. I think there's no doubt Lockett is hot right now, and you got to keep rolling him out there. DK is not hot, but the targets, the quarterback, and his own talent are all there. I think the this is the largest over-under of the week. There's no way you're benching DK just because he didn't score you a touchdown last week. And I do think better days are ahead. He did have a very I, – I rewatched this game, and you saw a lot of frustrating penalties for DK, a lot of pass breakups. I think he gets a little bit right um, this week, and I think, you know – Johnny, we're looking at a situation where Russ has been simmering a little bit, but this is a great spot for him to actually, you know, go ballistic here. Yeah, Russell, I mean, he's been starting off really hot. We've seen this before from him. He generally does this, uh, and you like this matchup. We look forward to continue. Russ right now, QB, QB4 on the year. They have been letting him somewhat cook, you know, like on a higher temperature. It's not quite all the way up to high, like, you know, a chef's really like to cook on. You know, it's it's more of like a in between high and medium right now. Uh, but you certainly like what he could do this week. Minnesota giving up the fourth most fantasy points to opposing quarterbacks. You saw what Kyler Murray did last week. I do want to mention, though, bumpy times, some turbulence could be ahead, you know, uh, Tune in, passengers. You might want to, you know, buckle your seatbelts. Some turbulence about to come in because Russell Wilson does have the San Francisco 49ers on his schedule in the next couple of weeks, the LA Rams and Pittsburgh Steelers from weeks five to seven. So, like I said, buckle up. It could be a bumpy ride. If the oxygen masks fall down, just make sure you grab your oxygen first. Then look to get your passenger or the person next to you some oxygen. Uh, but then it should be okay. We should restabilize and Russell should be fine from the airplane jokes about Russ's flight uh, to captain Kirk on the (laughs) Minnesota Vikings. Are we going to let Kirk cook because he's actually started pretty hot here, Austin. Yeah. He's on a great start, right? 26 points week one, 31 points week two. I feel the industry is surprised. I think we're all kind of surprised in our, in our league of record thread. We're like, Oh, how could you let the quarterback eight go so late? All this good stuff. But quick quiz here, guys. I wanted to ask you how many times, just off the top of your head, I'm not look, I'm not looking to bust balls on this or anything, but how many times has Kirk Cousins finished as a top 10 quarterback? First off? Uh, I think like four or five, right? I mean, he's done it pretty consistently. He's, yeah, he's, he, he finished as a... Yeah, three. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. yeah he's, he's one of those that are like, at the end of the year, you look back and you're like, oh, Kirk Cousins is a top 12 quarterback. But then you're like, you look at his individual game. It's like... 
that's the thing with with Captain Kirk is he does so well when you don't expect him to do well, and then when you start to get on the bandwagon and want him to do well, he he hurts you. yeah, he's gonna hurt you. He's gonna put up a real stinker when you really need it and you're really expecting it. That's what happens. Well, well said. That's what he's done. Like not only has he been a top ten three times, he's been a he was the quarterback number six in 2017. He was the quarterback number five. In 2016, he was a top five option just five years ago. And what we're seeing with him right now off to this great start um, where he's averaging right around 28 points really isn't anything new. And it's also not a reason to get super excited, Big Travi, because this year, while he said he's averaged just under 30 points, in 2018 through two, he averaged 32.75 points, had a 24-point week one and a 41-point week two. He finished as the quarterback 13 that season. So it's... He can finish well. He also can fade a little bit, exactly to Johnny's points over here. He's a great streamable option. Like, I have goosebumps mm-hmm. saying that. He might be the best streamable option. He's just right there on the edge, though. He's not a weekly start. You're not going to start him against stout defenses. You know, this week going up against Seattle, I like him in my lineups. I feel really good about that. But he's, he's not a locked and loaded guy, despite him finishing as a top three quarterback. Could be for multiple weeks. Just Man, be aware of the inconsistency. Austin trying to break down Kirk and Johnny getting getting hot in there. I'm going to have to have Johnny show me on the doll where uh, on Kirk touched him. Jeez. <laughs> uh, so anyways, moving on, uh, or Johnny, I'll ask you about Dalvin Cook because it looks like he may miss this game. And that means we, you know, if you were a Cook GM, we told you to get Alexander Madison. So go ahead and, you know, let's fire him up this week, right? Yeah, absolutely. If Dalvin Cook does not end up going, then fire up Alexander Madison. I don't think I need to break in, break down or, or remind anybody exactly what Derrick Henry uh, did to this defense last week. Again, not saying Alexander Madison is Derrick Henry, but they are not a good run defense. So you definitely give me a lineup. The one thing I do want to mention, though, Dalvin Cook did miss practice today on Thursday uh, on, on Thursday. But I do have confidence that if he does end up playing and giving it and going, that you should put him in your lineup because of what the coach, uh, Coach Zimmer, has come out already and said, uh, as Dalvin Cook deals with an ankle injury, the throttle is still forward on his workload. Zimmer said, quote unquote, at this stage, it is time to get some wins. Dalvin's a tough guy. If he can't play, then there's a reason why he's not playing. He makes us go. So we'll continue to play him. So as long as he is in your lineup or if he is, as long as he is in the Minnesota Vikings lineup, he is in your lineup. Once again, good blow up spot. But if he does not go in this game, absolutely get Alexander Madison on your lineup. Love it, love it. We need to talk a little bit about these pass catchers here because we know Justin Jefferson, we know Adam Thielen, but the newbie is K.J. Osborne, and I wanted to talk a little bit if K.J. Osborne's a pretender or a contender. You look at PFF receiving grade, uh, this year is 70 in weeks one. All three in week one, all three of them had more than 80% snap share. Strange given the shootout nature of last week that that would dip down for your guy, KJ Osborne. He has a 15% target market share through two weeks, but he's on a team that is sixth in passing yards per game. And that is going to be nice. Will that last in Minnesota? I think it'll last this week because they're playing Seattle. It's, they're going to need to continue to put up points. He should at least be on the radar for that wide receiver three against Seattle. 
we obviously know what they're about. Let's look at the big dogs here. Adam Thielen, 21% target market share, leads the team through two weeks, three touchdowns in two games. He stays scoring touchdowns. You stay starting him in your lineup. Justin Jefferson, PFF receiving grade this year of 71, 19 targets through two weeks, second to only Thielen thus far, but only by a couple, and only one touchdown. That's why he's in the wide receiver two range to start the year. That could be changing as soon as this week he's in a blow-up spot against uh, you know Seattle in this week's highest over-under. But blow-up spot is what we have in the next game, guys. This may be my most exciting game on the docket. We've got a bunch of good ones, but the Los Angeles Rams are hosting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in SoFi Stadium in beautiful Los Angeles. It's a 55-point over-under. The Rams only favored by one point in this game. Tampa Bay comes to town, and we've got to talk you know, a little bit about what makes this team go? And that is Tom Brady. Look, I, I quickly, we just need to give a shout out to how good he is right now. Back to back 34 point games, nine touchdowns on the season, QB three and all of fantasy football continues every week to be ranked as a fringe QB. You know, that's how we did it to him in the ADP in the off season too, but he continues to just put up points to Johnny's point in the off season, going for records, slinging the ball around TB 12 at 44 is PFF's highest-graded QB through two weeks. Not all these young guns we're talking about. Not Aaron Rodgers. You know, it's 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 still Tom Brady that's doing it at the best, and that's because of the weapons that he has around him. Although, he will be out without Antonio Brown, Austin, who was <clears throat> now tested positive for COVID, should be on the COVID list for, uh, you know, a, a little bit of a stint here. Yeah. What is... What's that? I just, I just wanted to mention that uh, real quick on Tom Brady. He is just 14 touchdown passes away from throwing more touchdowns in his 40s than his 20s. That's yeah, how that good and how long that. he's been doing that. Yeah, that was a wild stat. I think we got that on the Monday Night Live show. Uh, somebody yeah. threw that out there. Yeah. That LA yeah. Rams 23, or I can't remember the name. But yeah, what a great stat. Whisper Nation yeah. coming hot with that. But yeah, Austin, I mean, AB going to be out. What does that spell for Mike Evans, for Chris Godwin and the boys? I think it's good news. I think it's good news for Mike Evans and for Chris Godwin. The concern when a skill player of an Antonio Brown caliber goes down, the concern there is that they're not going to be able to move the ball. They're not going to be able to collect as many first downs. They're not going to be able to score overall as many points. A sinking tide lowers all ships would be the thinking behind there. But this offense, Travis, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is so stacked across the board at every position. They have depth at wide receiver, at running back, at tight end. Antonio Brown going down doesn't help them, but Antonio Brown was the third wide receiver on this roster um, in terms of snap percentage, in terms of targets. Um, with him out, those targets are going to be dispersed across the other playmakers on the team. Um, this can only really be perceived to be good news for Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. They're going to score points. They're going to get first downs. Both of these players and Mike Evans and Chris Godwins are top 24 wide receivers. I think that they're going to get a little bit closer. They're, they're going to move up in those rankings, even going up against Los Angeles and their top three ranked pass defense. Johnny, when we look at this backfield, it's been a bit of a blunder for the Buccaneers. How do you feel like this can, you know, can we put anything? I, I know we ask this every week, but is there any way that we will ever be able to project this backfield? Yeah, I think we can. I think it's pretty evident and clear because they're doing the same thing that they did last year in this backfield. And I we shouldn't expect anything different moving forward. Uh, I understand what uh, B.A. is coming out and saying. Rojo is the guy. He's the starter. Uh, he's our, our, our 
are 1A per se. But the reality is that even despite being the guy or the 1A, uh, he is only getting 39% snap share, or that's the peak that he has gotten over uh, so far this season. That was along the same lines of what he was getting last year. And then you look at Leonard Fournette at the same token, seeing 50% of the team's running back snap share, which is what he was getting uh, last year as well down the stretch once he came back from that ankle uh ankle injury excuse me he's averaging about 10 yards per or 10 carries per game and 4.5 receptions per game which is about 14 total touches again there's very limited upside with either one of these guys like if you're going to go with one you know geo his his snap share went from 26 percent all the way down to eight so they're not really using him like we thought they would use him maybe that bounces back slightly uh, but they're looking to use Ron, or Leonard Fournette as the main pass catcher and the main runner there. Uh, but it is going to be a three-headed timeshare. And we know how much they they like to throw the ball. So I don't have a whole lot of confidence. But if I have to throw one out, it's Leonard Fournette as a flex play uh, because he's the most likely to score a touchdown or get the bulk of the touches there. But like, uh, like we've we're talking in one of our threads, you know, why, why is Tom Brady throwing on first and goal from the one yard line twice to Mike Evans in a game? And it's like, that's the reality is it's better. That's a better option. Uh, and like I said, they're going well, for these records. Yeah, I was going to say it's a better option yeah. for the record. It seems like, yeah, I but know. well, I mean, and how you can't, it's so difficult to stop Mike Evans on a quick slant uh, because of his big body or a big fade. Cause he can go up and get it. So that is part into why as well. But yeah, if you have to decide on one of these guys, it's Leonard Fournette. Um, it's not Ronald Jones, unfortunately, and it's not Geo, but it's not nice either. Well, uh, the Los Angeles Rams will do their best to be not nice to Tom Brady, but the quarterback sharing the stage with Tom Brady is Matthew Stafford. And Austin, they gave up a lot of picks to go get Stafford. And in week one, we saw a ceiling game. In week two, not so much. He's around that QB 10 range. So I wanted to ask, is he more like week one or is he more like week two, Austin? What can we expect out of Matt Stafford? You know, I think that the way you're framing it is is about what we're going to see. And I like how you talked about a ceiling game and a floor game. It's only a difference of nine points in yeah. those games. It's nice. a 21-point <laughs> game. It's a 30-point game. You know what I mean? It's really yeah. not that wide of a range when you could see a quarterback at below 15 or above 44. You know what I mean? So I think that what you just described there is somewhat what we should just expect from Matt Stafford, both out of this game and for the rest of the season. I actually really like him more in this game than I do in a lot of the other situations they might find themselves in just because they're going up against a team that is – as good if not better than the Rams and there really aren't that many of those teams in the NFL which is going to mean Stafford's going to have to keep up there's a world at least where he's going to have to keep up and they're not going to be able to just run the rock in the way they want to and throw the ball at will Tampa Bay is going to force Los Angeles's hand at times and that's going to mean Stafford's going to have to make some plays happen and I think he's fully capable of doing exactly that Um, so I do think we're going to see more of a ceiling game as you point to here. And I think we're going to see an uptick in Stafford as the season progresses. How could it not as his familiarity with the system, with the Los Angeles Rams overall, and of course his weapons only intensifies. And Tampa Bay though has been a little bit friendly to quarterbacks. We know they're a strong defense, but on the quarterbacking side, they've let up top 13 points um, to quarterbacks. They're in there in that bottom 13 um, there for points allowed to the quarterbacks. And this is better than I would have expected. And John, excuse me, Travis, as you pointed out, a 55 point over under. 
Vegas also expects Tampa Bay to win by just one point, meaning it's going to be a pretty close game. I think Stafford could be a big reason of why it stays close. I think you're going to see it more close to a ceiling game on this one. I think it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I think I hope the whole game is a ceiling game. I think back to my birthday a couple of years ago when Kansas City played the Rams on Monday night. Give me that game right here. And one of the guys that scored a touchdown, actually the first touchdown in that game, was Robert Woods. And a lot of DMs asking, you know, where is Robert Woods? You know, obviously Cooper Cup has emerged. He's dominated the market share with 21%. Uh, no other Ram is even getting 15%. He's PFF's highest graded wide receiver. Um, he's eclipsed 100 yards in both games. So we have a situation where, you know, Woods is saying, well, poor me. Where you know, where's my love? I want it. Um, you know, much more involved in week two, though, with nine targets was Woods compared to five in week one. Only caught five of them uh, in week two. Failed to clear seventy-five yards and sitting at that thirteen percent target market share. But there is sign for hopes here because not only is Cooper Cup going for the top five, but I think that Robert Woods is a great start this week. Call it injuries. Johnny or Austin has alluded to it, but the Tampa Bay secondary is a little banged up right now, and only four teams have given up more points to the wide receiver in at the position than the Bucks right now. I'm good with Roland Woods at that wide receiver two, wide receiver three range right now in this matchup. I think this is your spot. And then if he doesn't do it here, then we could be throwing up some signals. We'll be three weeks in with a little bit of warning signs um, then. Johnny, uh, before I kick it over to you on Sony Michelle, I, I did kind of want to pitch this to you because – we saw Tyler Higby, you know, he's been a guy you've been banging the drum for a lot. He has been in on 100% of the snaps, which is great. That's what mm -hmm. we want out of tight ends. He wants to be in there. He had 11 PPR points in week one, only caught one ball in week two. Not much left on the waiver for you, um, and this matchup should give him a lot of opportunity, right? Yeah, so Tampa Bay actually is, uh, is susceptible at the tight end position. Again, I don't expect one of those mega ceiling games from Higby, but it could in this potential uh, breakout. Again, all of the signs and the analytics are showing that Higby is right where he should be. Of course, it's not coming through on the box score uh, on some of those games, but you're talking about the, the his snaps as far as is he splitting time. He's not. Uh, you're looking at the target share. He's getting a very healthy uh, target share for tight ends. So better days ahead. Stick with the analytics. Stick with the opportunities. And more oftentimes than not, the odds would be in your favor. Johnny hashtag team analytics here. Uh, let's move on to some, you know, not as much clear analytics here for the backfield, but Henderson who had been this RB one in weeks one and two dealing with a rib cartilage issue. That was actually cam Akers issue last year that kind of spotlighted Henderson in into some usage, but now Sony Michelle, I, I believe this is, has to be why they traded for Sony Michelle just depth. And because Henderson hasn't stayed healthy, is he ready to take over Johnny? I think so. He was flung into the game last week and he did all right for, you know, still being relatively new for the team. Uh, I know that the Tampa Bay defense does seem a little bit scary, but I am playing Sony in this game. I want to mention that Tampa Bay is giving up uh, 118 yards and a touchdown to opposing pass catchers uh, at the running back position for on the season. So you have to think and expect that he will get a lot of dump offs, uh, a lot of usage that way, as uh, you know, the Rams would probably try to stay away from that front seven. So I definitely love Sony like in a PPR league. And I just want to read what uh, Sean McVay out of his words out of his own mouth about what he has to say about Sony Michelle. Uh, he said, quote, unquote, we want to give him as much time as possible to get as healthy as possible. That in referring to Henderson, uh, this is something that uh, 
this is something that if the pain subsides, then he will be confident to be able to utilize him. McVay said of Henderson, does that mean he starts and plays the amount of reps? Uh, well, yesterday was a good positive reflection of what the Sony got into the rhythm as as uh, the game went on, giving a handful of carries. That is good for me to see and is good for our players to see as I thought he did a nice job closing it out. So I definitely expect to see Sony and Jake Funk possibly utilize more this week. So uh, if he, if Henderson is kind of out uh, and we know for sure, then I definitely 100% am putting Sony. If if Henderson ends up uh, trying to tough this out, then it could get a little bit murky as they could give Henderson some of those touches. But I think overall, Sony would still get the bulk of them. All right, gentlemen, it's time to move on to our Sunday night football primetime game. The San Francisco 49ers are hosting Austin and I's Green Bay Packers in a 49-point over-under. San Francisco favored by three points, which is usually what you do in an even matchup to the home team. You give them three here. We'll start with the Green Bay side of the ball, but before we do, we want to uh, urge you to like and subscribe right here on the YouTube channel and help us grow this channel. We are trying to get over 2,000 subs, so help us do that and continue to march on and grow Whisper Nation. Austin, we got to start with your boy who just gave you such a great Monday night. Uh, Aaron Rodgers just did it for you in multiple leagues, made you point leader in multiple leagues. Is he is he looking to stay hot? He's had some bad games before against San Fran, but this is a decent over-under. He should be ready to keep that narrative going. You know, I think it's really up to him. It really is. It's one of those situations that <laughs> analytics don't really apply to me in this kind of situation, you know, because it's the metaphor that keeps coming to mind is a storm and a set of levees there to brace the storm, right? And you might have a really good set of levees built into your city to handle a flood. Um, and San Francisco, I would say, has a pretty good levee there at the eighth overall pass defense. But the size of the storm coming to San Francisco depends on Aaron Rodgers. And if your storm is larger than the levee set to protect, the levees break and it floods the city. And it doesn't matter how tall those levees are if the storm is greater. Aaron Rodgers has that ability to bring the storm. Will we get it out of him? We saw it a bit in week two. We did not see it in week one. The good thing, I believe, looking though at week two's Monday Night Football performance is if there was any weight in this idea that Aaron Rodgers is so fed up with the Green Bay Packers organization that he wants to sabotage it in some way, we saw that was not the case. He yeah. wants to win. He wants to perform well. He wants to show up. He wants to do the little ice vein thing in his <laughs> arm. He wants. To, he, we saw him want to get five touchdowns, and we saw how bad he wanted that at the end of the game. He's playing for personal points as well as wins. It's up I mean, to him. Also, we've talked about it now a couple of times. We talked about it live on the Monday night show and, and make sure you're turned into this Monday night football live show as well. But also we talked about him threading the needle on that Tunyon touchdown where he didn't really need to because he had the crosser wide open and you're like, what the heck? Why would you do that? Because he wants to continue to score touchdowns. And maybe to Johnny's point, he's hearing Johnny talk about Brady always wanting to throw touchdowns and break records. Now, Rogers, get a little bit of that juice in your veins. Speaking of ice in the veins. Uh, but Aaron wasn't the only Aaron that got it done for you on Monday night. Aaron Jones had a monster week. He was the week winner there, uh, if if you took out Derrick Henry, let's say. After GameScript got the best of Jones in week one, Jones went nuclear for a 40-burger in PPR, four total touchdowns, just to show the kind of upside he will continue to have in this offense. 23 touches in week one was much more in line with his 18-touch-per-game average that he had in 2020. 
Um, if you look at A.J. Dillon, his counterpart, only five touches. Well, that's about half as much. Jamal was averaging about 10 touches per game last year in this offense. So we'll see if that upticks. We, we're going to have to watch and see. But I just want to talk about Aaron Jones. Obviously, you're starting him. And here's a little bit of hope for you, a little optimism. Look for Green Bay to get Jones involved in the passing game. Only Seattle has allowed more receiving yards to running backs than San Francisco. So I think, as we know, Aaron Jones, a proficient receiver, this could be a real good spot for him in this offense to get going through Aaron Jones and that has to have me ask you Johnny you asked it on the Monday Night Live if we should be concerned about Devontae Adams and then he caught a monster bomb right after that which I I had to love just because uh you were calling out my boy but yeah there there is some touchdown yeah but then there is some touchdown regression we got to talk about a little bit with Devontae right yeah, absolutely. There's some concern. Like I was trying to point out, I mean, right after that, I kind of jinxed it. But then after that, he just cooled off. There is some panicking going on uh, with Devontae Adams, especially after Aaron Rodgers posted, you know, the last dance with a photo with Devontae Adams. You were expecting, you know, that touchdown regression not to happen. You were like, oh, this is fully thumbs up. Once again, for the Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers show. Uh, but the, yeah, exactly. But that has not happened so far this season. I do want to say, if you can trade for Devontae Adams, you better do it now. <laughs> this is going to be the last time because Devontae Adams straight up has where we talked about, oh, you know, Aaron Rodgers potentially not really having the 49ers number. Well, I'll tell you who definitely has it on speed dial as the number one button, and that is Devontae Adams. Last four games against San Fran, he not only showed up, but he showed out and embarrassed these boys. Ten for ten or ten catches for 132 yards, two touchdowns. Seven for 43 and a touchdown, nine for 138 yards, 10 for 173 yards and a touchdown, dating back to 2018. You get them in your lineup, you have full confidence. If you don't have them right now, go and try to trade for them. It's a it would be a no-brainer for you to get them in your lineup this week. I do want to touch on MBS real quick. It is what is interesting. I don't know that I'm necessarily playing him in this game. If you need a what the heck flex, as we like to say, MBS could be a, a really nice play. But it also could lead you to a zero. But I do want to mention, like, the single uh, largest difference in league air yards uh, compared to actual receiving yards, that's MBS with 214 to just 17. So Aaron Rodgers is looking for him uh, quite often, actually. They just haven't been able to sync up, which is kind of the issue. But it's somewhat been about timing, not necessarily that MBS is dropping uh, the the catches like he did last year. So I do think that there is a, a what-the-heck flex in MBS. And then I just want to... Bobby T, a pity a fool. You're going to get him in your lineup again this week. San Fran giving up 10 and a half fantasy points to opposing tight ends. You love that. And Bobby T is always just a threat to score a touchdown. You saw the trust there. You saw the trust between Aaron Rodgers and Bobby T on a Monday night. I don't know what else you need. He was being double teamed. And Aaron Rodgers said, I don't even care. I got a wide open underneath, you know, wide open screaming. Probably Alan Lazard could have scored a touchdown. Who knows? We don't know. But Aaron Rodgers knew that Bobby T was going to pity two fools at the cornerback position and score a touchdown. So get him once again in your lineup. I just got to say the thought that came to mind when you were explaining so eloquently that Devontae Adams has the San Francisco 49ers number one on speed dial. I just saw like a gridiron gang cartoon where Devontae Adams just sitting on his couch, picks up the phone, calls the San Francisco 49ers. Somebody at the ticket booth picks up the phone. All of a sudden, Devontae Adams' voice is heard on the PA system throughout the entire stadium and just goes, sup, it's Devontae. And everybody starts freaking out. All of a sudden, people are lighting the booths 
woods on fire. The lawnmowers, they're taking it over the whole grass and everything, and the whole place just burns down because Devontae Adams pressed one on the speed dial. I hope you're right, man. Oh, it's going to happen. We could definitely see it because this San Fran team honestly isn't as explosive as we've seen in the past, at least to start this year. When we look at the San Fran side of the ball, they usually the motor that turns that offense is the running back position. And we have so many names running through that backfield right now, Austin. Is it anyone we can trust here? Because this should be a good matchup against Green Bay on Sunday night football. I, I, I'm not trying to be cute, and I prepared for the show. I just don't have a great answer to give you. We got your Michael Hasty dealing with the high ankle sprain. We got Elijah um, out of Thursday's practice. We got Trey Sermon, who is concussed. Uh, Trenton Cannon is looking like an interesting option who was picked up a couple of weeks ago. He might be the healthiest. Sermon could come back from this concussion. Regardless, they're going to be running out a lot of backs. Um, they're all pretty much banged up or have less than two weeks on the roster. I'm just going to avoid this entire backfield situation right now until I just get a little bit of clarity. There's too many injuries that we don't know enough about with too many backs who we haven't seen play to really make a, a to provide a take with any weight. I think it's tough too because this game's the Sunday night football game. So can you really even make a decision if all these guys are banged up going in? We'd have to see more practice involvement on Friday and Saturday to really get your juices going on this. So for me, I, I kind of side with Austin here. I think only in the desperate of situations would you maybe roll out one of these backs. Um, and I think that's the good way to put it. Desperate is what Kittle owners are getting right now, uh, Johnny, because we have just not seen that elite tight end production from your man, uh, George Kittle. So how concerned are we? We're really concerned. I continue to hit this panic button uh, until everyone hears me and uh, and then tries to get out from under George Kittle. I do think this is going to be that game in which he really goes off and then you can uh, try to trade him. The problem is, is he is a great, great tight end. His, his skill level has not depleted. He is still uh, looking as good as he's ever looked. The problem is, is they are asking him to block a lot more this year than they have in the past. And could that be? And is it most likely because they have these pass catchers now that they trust a little bit more and they don't need to rely on Kittle as much and they would rather have him block and, uh, you know, and, and try to hold up. So Jimmy G or Lance doesn't get injured. That is a potential to look out for. But again, green Bay Packers giving up the third most fantasy points to opposing tight ends right now. So you're definitely going to get them in your lineup. And then I would potentially try to look to, to try to get out uh, if you can uh, from him because his name will draw a lot. Uh, but, you know, we've talked about it a couple of times, maybe potentially trying to go to the Hawk owner uh, or roster and try to do a Kittle for for uh, Haw Hawkinson uh, deal. But that's not that's a different kind of show. I'm just saying Kittle is a concern moving forward. Yeah, Johnny, you talked about the other pass catchers here, so we'll, we'll dive into Debo Samuel a little bit because right now, guys, he's the wide receiver three in standard and PPR. He leads the NFL in receiving yards. As much as we don't think this will last, we have that feeling, we have to remember that Debo was the apple of Jimmy G's eye long before Ayuk was even drafted, or at least one year, maybe not that long. <laughs> uh, Brandon Ayuk, only one catch in two games. So everybody's asking, like, can we get eyes on Ayuk right now? What's going on? A few factors are working against Ayuk, and even to Johnny's point, maybe Kittle. Um, the aforementioned with chemistry um, between Debo and Jimmy G is there. So for Ayuk's sake, that's something he's battling right now. He also has to hit more than 50. 
55% snap share, which he hasn't done yet this year. So he's not even getting in on a lot of the snaps that you like to see for a, for a dominant wide receiver. And then this is the big one for me. San Francisco's bottom five in pass attempts, guys. There's not a lot of volume in this offense. So if it's going to go to one guy and the target tree is already narrow, then there's not going to be a lot for the peripheral pieces to pick up. And that's what I think is going on with Kittle and more importantly, Ayuk here. Green Bay still a tough matchup for wide receivers, but I'm really high on Debo's usage and that role and his chemistry with Jimmy G. I'd be rolling out Debo fine as a wide receiver two, three flex option uh, any anywhere in that range. I think he needs to be in your lineup in this one because he's probably going to be the way the main way they move the ball, especially with all the banged up running backs. And I just think he's the one I trust right now. Let me ask you this: um, Do you expect? And this would really change the answer. Do you expect? Jair to be on Debo because he has had these blow up games, or do you expect them to be more on Ayuk because Ayuk is considered the X wide receiver, the alpha wide receiver? Because that, if that's the case, if, well, the, if Jair is on Debo, it's going to be a long day. Well, the problem is, is that Debo gets moved along a lot in the slot and out of the backfield too. So they'll, they'll find creative ways to move Debo around. It won't really, I mean, he's definitely going to get matched up against Jair at some time, but I think mm. they're going to do enough. Shanahan's going to do enough to get Debo because he's been the best player for them. He's the, mm. they're going to do enough to get him going and keep him hot in this game. And I, I would just roll in the fire a little bit with Debo here. But we would like Whisper Nation to roll in those likes and subscribes on the channel here. Help us get that YouTube channel up over 2,000 and help us grow Whisper Nation even further. Help us out, guys. Gentlemen, we're going to move on to the Monday night football matchup. We have the Dallas Cowboys hosting the Philadelphia Eagles in a divisional battle here. It's a 51.5 point over under with Dallas favored by four at home. We're going to jump into this Philly offense, but before we do, I'm asking Whisper Nation to go ahead and hit that like button, hit that subscribe on the YouTube channel, help us grow Whisper Nation and continue to move us forward past 2,000 subs and to infinity and beyond, like Buzz Lightyear used to say. Keep it going here. Um, we are going to move into this Philly offense, though, and I think the important question, maybe the biggest question we have, because we know Jalen Hurts and we know Miles Sanders in this offense, but really the pass catchers, Austin, and what are we going to do? Because Devonta Smith flashed big in week one. We saw a little bit of usage in the tight ends, but we didn't see Jalen Hurts really get throwing that much last week. Yeah, going up against San Francisco and game flow just didn't really work in that favor. But between the pass catchers, you're going to be looking at Devonta Smith and you're going to be looking at Jalen Rager. And I feel good about both of them. I feel better about the ladder there and Jalen Rager just because he's probably available on your waiver wire. And a big reason for that, despite him being the clear number two on the Philadelphia Eagles offense with a 71% snap percentage, uh, 48% there for the third and Quez Watkins, um, he only had two catches last week, Travi on five targets, but he did have two big plays that were called back that had they gone through would have changed the entire conversation. And I think Rager would have been popping up on a lot more waiver wire articles around the industry. Now, Devontae Smith, he's probably already picked up. He is the number one. He leads the team in targets. He's looked at as promised. I don't think he's going to be a world beater in his rookie year, but I think he's going to be a really good piece of the Philly offense that keeps them moving forward. I think Rager's going to be a part of that as well. I think he's a bit of like a, a, a poor man's Devonta Smith, real talk. Um, but I think that because he's going to draw less impactful cornerback coverage, he's going to draw less attention from defensive schemes. There are going to be opportunities for Jalen Rager to pop, and because of his play style, he will do exactly that. I also want to make a call. 
Yeah, I, I would agree. I agree with that completely. I want to I want to make a quick note on Dallas Goddard, who I think you could fire up this week as a nice start. Over sixty five percent snap share in both games. Also facing a Dallas offense that or defense that has given up twelve point four points per game to the tight end so far through two games. So I think Goddard's firmly in your lineup as as another piece that Jalen Hurts could get the ball moving here. Um, Johnny, speaking of Hurts, where are we at with the trust level? Last week he didn't throw any touchdowns, but he still finished as a as a pretty good fantasy QB. Yeah, and I think that that's what you see with Hertz is that he has such a safe floor, and that's why we like him so much because, once again, in this game, just like we talked about last week and we'll continue to talk about it, Jalen Hurts wakes up in the morning, walks into the stadium, and he's already got 60 yards rushing because that's just what he does. He has yet to rush under 60 yards in a single game that he starts and finishes. So uh, Jalen Hurts has a tremendously high floor. He's had a, a significant amount of 300 passing yard games, so you know he has that upside. You look at Dallas, what have they done? Well, they've given up a ton of passing yards so far this season, 717 passing yards and five passing touchdowns to opposing quarterbacks. You're going to get him in your lineup. You're going to be happy because Jalen Hurts is about to go off. And not only that, it's a divisional game, boys, so it should be a lot of fireworks on a Monday night. Love Hurts play this week. A lot of those fireworks will belong to, uh, you know, the the Philly offense maybe because they're they're not they're only four point dogs here so it's fifty one point over under but a lot of the motor that makes that offense run is Miles Sanders through two weeks he's been the RB twenty two in PPR and standard he's averaged sixteen touches per game a little bit over four yards per carry even though uh, he played a tough San Francisco defense last week over sixty five percent of snaps in both games we look at Kenneth Gainwell he's averaging ten touches per game and showing flashes but he's still more of the handcuff at this time I want to look at this matchup for Miles Sanders. Dallas looking like a pass funnel. They've allowed just 11.5 fantasy uh, points per game to running backs, which is fifth lowest in the NFL. It seems the teams are knowing they can attack through the air on Dallas. So we'll see because that'll be a test for Hertz and those pass catchers, as Austin was talking about, because they haven't been the most effective just yet. Sanders seems to be a focal point of this team, however, and I think the volume should float him here. You're obviously still putting him in your lineup as one of the few guys averaging over 15 touches per game through two weeks. All right, the rest of the fireworks belong to the Dallas Cowboys offense. Dak Prescott and company are, are getting in there, and we've got a situation where he continues to have some banged-up weapons here. Austin Cooper is a little bit dinged up right now, which, uh, you know, Jerry Jones saying his eyes aren't too far apart, but also that Amari Cooper may play in this game. He doesn't know yet. How are we feeling? I and mean, that's a Monday night game, Austin. How are we feeling about putting Cooper in uh, and 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 CeeDee Lamb and that effect as well? CeeDee Lamb is an auto start. CeeDee Lamb looks better than advertised. CeeDee Lamb is the wide receiver 13 in standard, wide receiver 12 in PPR, had nine targets, eight catches, 81 yards. 104 yards in week one on 15 targets. He looks great. He moves in such a special way too. His numbers look great. His on the field work looks great. No cause for concern with CeeDee Lamb. Get him out. Get him out there often. Enjoy it. Amari Cooper, though, ranks higher than CeeDee Lamb does, mainly from that strong week one performance drive. He ran 139 yards and a couple of tutties, but he followed that up last week against the Chargers, just three catches on five targets for a disappointing 24 yards. He also bruised his ribs. That's the part that is really giving me pause on this because the matchup should be pretty good. It's going up against a decent at-best Philadelphia secondary. It's in a primetime game. You expect to see the juices and the testosterone and the energy flowing, and people are going to want to showcase for their moms and dads and everybody that they love 
But Cooper, as Johnny stated on many an episode, he's a very volatile player. And we saw that in his first two weeks. I don't know why that's not going to continue. Honestly, the only case I can come up with against and why I think Cooper's going to have a good game is because they're just going to flat out need it, Travis. It's a 51 and a half point over under. Um, Philadelphia is favored, which we, which would mean Dallas is going to be playing from behind. That ball has to go somewhere. And Tony Pollard and CeeDee Lamb can only catch so many passes. They're going to need Amari Cooper. I think if it was in a lighter matchup in a different situation, I'd be fading him harder. I don't think that the Dallas Cowboys can fade Amari Cooper, and you probably can't fade Amari Cooper on your fantasy lineup this week either. I think you bite the bullet. I think you start him. I think you just temper those expectations, and you're not surprised if he puts up a bit of a dud. Yeah, I think there's some interesting things you could try and do with Cooper. I've seen, you know, I was toying with the idea. I have Cooper in a couple leagues. I was toying with the idea of picking up Cedric Wilson as a stash because Monday night, should Cooper be in an active, maybe you could roll him out there. But something about Wilson's floor just really scares me. I don't know if I'd be willing to do that. But it's something you could play with if you're adamant about getting Cooper in there. It could be a a quick backup plan. I want to talk a little bit about, speaking of these pass catchers being banged up, Michael Gallup's out. We know he's been out for a little while. And I wanted to ask the question because we see dips in production. Dak went from a world beater 30 point performance in week one, came back to earth with zero touchdown performance in week two and could have sunk your lineup. And so we have to ask questions for you. Whisper Nation is, is this because Gallup's been out? You know, is Gallup the missing piece that gets the ceiling there for Dak? Will the Cooper injury affect him? We got Philly uh, being a spot that could that he could expose, but they've been a tough matchup on paper but they've only played Matt Ryan and Jimmy G. So do we really know if they're that tough? Vegas likes this game to be a really high scoring affair as Austin and Johnny have pointed out, but I do have concerns if Dallas offense continues to absorb injuries, keeping an eye on this game and on on these injuries and see what Dak can do to rise above this week. He'll want to bounce back. I know he will from last week because that's the kind of player Dak is. So, Keep them in your lineup, of course, and, and but just be monitoring that. Something we've been monitoring, uh, Johnny, is the usage of Zeke, Zeke Elliott, and Tony Pollard, who has been the highest graded PFF back in in all of the NFL right now, and yet he's still the second fiddle to Zeke, uh, or you could say, or at least even keel with him. So what do we do right now in fantasy with these guys? Are we trying to get out of Zeke because of the usage of Pollard? What what's the what's the finger on the pulse here? So, so far, this has been pretty wild. I know that a lot of Tony Pollard letting you know, like, hey, he's a, a severe handcuff or one of those elite handcuffs that you definitely need if you draft Ezekiel Elliott. What we've seen so far through 2020, through these uh, two games, right? The touches, Ezekiel Elliott, 18 to Tony Pollard, 16, pretty even. 10 plus yard plays. Ezekiel Elliott's only had two. Tony Pollard has had five. Much more explosive. He looks much more explosive on game film. Uh, carries of one yard or fewer. Ezekiel Elliott has six. Tony Pollard had zero. So a lot of things are skewing not only in Tony Pollard and saying that Tony Pollard should get more volume, uh, but you talk about Michael Gallup not being here because of injury. You talk about the potential with Amari Cooper missing this game. It just leads me to down the road of saying, like, you need to start both Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott. I understand the touches aren't looking great for Ezekiel Elliott. I just kind of make it made a maybe a, a somewhat nasty point for Ezekiel Elliott. Some people might be panicking. But the reality is, is that they're giving Ezekiel Elliott plenty of work. He got the goal line carry. I know that Tony Pollard did get a goal line score as well. Uh, but I would not completely panic off Ezekiel Elliott right now. I still think that he is one of the solid running backs that you can have. This is going to be a situation of of a, a Cleveland Browns 
running back backfield with Kareem Hunt and and Nick Chubb. Right. You a lot of teams are doing this thunder and lightning style of running back usage. And I'll, I'll just continue to say, like, Ezekiel Elliott is getting a lot of snap share even still. And so I do project him long term to be the guy that you want. And I do see the usage upticking currently from Tony Pollard because Gallup is out. And I could see it again because Gallup is out this week and, and Cooper banged up whether he gives it a go or not. So I am looking to start Tony Pollard this week as at least a flex. Uh, and Ezekiel Elliott, he is in a solid RB1, could be a low-end RB1 now as, as opposed to a high-end RB1, but you're still getting him in your lineup in this in this uh, matchup because Philly is giving up an average of 100 rushing yards on the ground and 50 receiving yards uh, to opposing running backs. One thing that will be interesting, though, they have yet to give up an opposing touchdown to a running back right uh, so far this season, so it could be be alluding to a little bit more of a throwing and a Dak game than uh, we might think. Johnny looking to start both of the Dallas Cowboys running backs. We are looking for Whisper Nation to hit that like and hit that subscribe and continue to help us grow the channel over 2000 views. Well, or subs, sorry. Well, that does it for us. Part two of the weekly matchup show. Make sure you get part one by subscribing anywhere you get your podcast. And if you have any further lineup questions, make sure you're subscribed and tune in on YouTube. An hour and a half before kickoff, we will be doing the Sunday lineup show there. You can also check the fantasywhispers.com for our weekly rain rankings for any more uh, lineup conundrums. For Johnny Game Time Hicks and for Austin Sear, I am Big Travi, and we are the Fantasy Whispers, and we're out. Peace. Peace. Hey, you made it to the end of the video. If you like what you saw, go ahead and click subscribe. And if you want to watch more fantasy football content, check out one of these videos.